This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Venus Luxure, number one baby, by Girls Against Boys. It feels like something bad's going to happen. It's a heavy drum sound, which I really like. It's not always amazing. Evil lounge singer and... Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 142 of our third season, and uh, we are in the in the midst of our, uh, what I like to call, new release schedule. It's a, uh, a bunch of new releases by older bands, and we are... Uh, we're taking a listen to some of their old stuff first. So, how, first of all, how, how are you this evening, Jay? I am fine. Excellent. You don't ever ask me that. What, what, what's, what are you doing? I don't know. I, I'm playing mind games? I'm just playing, you know, I'm just, you know, making sure that everything's cool. Everything's right. kosher. It's been a hectic day, but. Gotcha. I'm here now. And we appreciate that. So, Jay. As I mentioned, new releases. that We got a new release by a band that you may or may not be familiar with. They're called Girls Against Boys. And they have a new EP coming out, hmm. touring. First time in a couple years of touring. And uh, we're going to take a listen to their second full-length album from 1993, Venus Luxure Number 1 Baby. Now, what was your uh, what was your familiarity with uh, Girls Against Boys? Was it high or low? Uh, neither, because I own one of their records. I have uh, "You Can't Fight What You Can't See." Uh, Which is don't their last know. Record. Okay, I don't know how I got that, and I was somewhat familiar with their sound. So if you, you know, you said the name, I could hear something in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> vaguely reminiscent of what they sounded like. You know, kind of remember them from the '90s, but uh, probably if if this is the last record, what, what, when do you think this came out? Like late '90s or early 2000s? The record that you have came out in 2002. Yeah, so I think of them more as a you know later era band, but yeah, somewhere in the middle of that. My recollections of this band, I I saw the name and I didn't really ever pay attention to them, and then for some reason I got. The Freak Annika album, which is uh, their second to last album. Their only one that they released on Geffen Records. And that came out in 1998. And that was sort of a polarizing record from what I remember and from what I've read now. Because it incorporated a lot more keyboards. So... That's it, the name. What was it? Freak Tronica? Freak Annika. Okay. Like Freak, asterisk, on, asterisk, I-C-A. And I remember thinking that it sounded pretty cool and it sounded different, but it didn't intrigue me enough to go back and revisit any of the previous albums. So there you go. See. Yes. So how about we familiarize ourselves with the Girls Against Boys and do some history of the band? How about? How about? History of the band. Girls Against Boys formed in Washington, D.C. in 1988. Originally, it was a side project of Eli Janney and Fugazi drummer Brendan Canty. Canty had to leave the project in 1990 because he was playing in Fugazi. So Eli Janney recruited three former members of D.C. hardcore punk group uh, Soulside, which was 
Scott McCloud, Johnny Temple, and Alexis Fleissig. Uh, that's so Eli Janney's playing bass. He sings backup vocals and uh, plays keyboards. Scott McCloud is the main vocalist and he plays guitar. Johnny Temple plays bass, so you have two bass players in this band. And then, mm. yeah. And then Alexis Fleissig, or Fleissig, plays drums. So, yeah, Jay, this is a little bit of a different band here because of their setup. Some of the things you heard that you might have thought were guitar parts, actually bass parts. Two bass pieces. Did that just blow your mind? A little bit. Okay. Uh, they released in the 1990s uh, four album, or five albums, which I mentioned. In Their debut came out on Adult Swim Records in 1992. It's called Tropic of Scorpio. They signed to Touch and Go Records, and the following year, 1993, they released the album that we're reviewing, Venus Luxure Number 1 Baby. Following year, 1994, third album, Cruise Yourself. Two years later, fourth album, House of GVSB. Then they signed to Geffen, one of those major label, you know, bands jumping from a indie to a major label. And they released the aforementioned Freak Annika in 1998. They left Geffen. And in 2002, they released You Can't Fight What You Can't See on Jade Tree Records. Now, this band, although they were an underground band, you know, they're on Touch and Go and they're a DC band with connections to. Fugazi and some hardcore punk and stuff like that. They had a lot of uh, exposure. They provided mu- uh, music for the soundtrack for the film Series 7, The Contenders. Uh, they s- contributed a song for the Clerks soundtrack. Um, they contributed the song Freaks to the soundtrack for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, they covered the song Boogie Wonderland for the film 200 Cigarettes which I believe stars uh, Courtney Love, among many others. Um, they contributed songs to, this, to uh, the soundtracks of Permanent Wid- Midnight, White Oleander, Suburbia, Mallrats, the Psycho remake. And then they were on a ton of tours. Um, they played Lollapalooza three different years. They played the Reading Festival, Ultimaros Parties, um, the Fuji Rock Festival, Pukle Pop, uh, Played on Conan O'Brien, John Stewart, all sorts of tours with lots of bands that you've heard of, like Jawbox, Helmet, Jesus Lizard, stuff that you'd expect. Rage Against the Machine. Uh, they've opened for the Foo Fighters. They've opened for uh, some other big bands, and then they've also had bands open for them when they were not well known, who became well known. They include bands such as the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Placebo. So they have a new EP out. They're touring for it. And uh, that's the latest on Girls Against Boys. So if you have a record that you would like to suggest, of course, visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Jay, we did get some Facebook feedback on this album. And this is some momentous feedback because Gavin Reed finally joined Facebook. Wow! Yeah, so he could comment on this record. Good for him. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because uh, well, you know, what, good good for good for the uh, dig me out community. Yeah, he's, he's got some good stuff to say. Because we've been getting we've been getting emails for you know like a year, two years from Gavin on on mm-hmm. all the episodes, and so it's gonna be nice for him to contribute to the to the conversation on the on the Facebook page. 
Uh, he says, I love this album. I love this band. Can't wait for the view, review. Still an almost unknown band and should have been huge. I saw them at the Corner Hotel in Richmond as the opening act for Magic Dirt. No idea who Magic Dirt are, but I probably should research that. Eric Grubbs, frequent contributor, one of the most unique bands from the 90s to get a major record deal. Still sound like a band ahead of its time. So, Jay, two glowing reviews for Girls Against Boys by two frequent contributors. Eric, I'm going to tip my hat here. Eric Grubbs is going to be a guest coming up on our program. I will not reveal the album, but uh, it will be a good one. So, Girls Against Boys, Jay. The album, Venus, Luxure, Number One Baby. Is this your number one baby, or are you ready to throw this baby out with the bathwater? That album title sounds like four four random words put together. <laughs> it's so clumsy, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's hard to say. Well, here's my challenge with this band. You know, I like bands that have a sound. And, I, and, I, and I, for the most part, I don't mind if they live within that sound and, you know, own it, for, for lack of a better term. I, and, the, and this is a band that does that. You know, it's got this, I guess, two bass players, which is interesting now that I know that. I want to pay attention to that next time I listen to it. Um, it didn't really, wasn't clear to me. It always felt like maybe there was like a bass effect on it and doubled and then some kind of either keyboard or guitar part. But anyway, uh, that bass sound is a very big part of the band. Um, it's part of that sound. Um, real gritty, kind of distorted. You know, over top of that, you have some guitars that are fairly simple, um, but um, either kind of chimey picking notes or alternating, you know, notes or uh, at times, you know, some big fuzzy chords or some driving, like kind of melodic, simple one string kind of, you know, Interpol style guitar stuff. Um, and then the thing that, that makes it most unique is the vocal, which is, oh, you might have to help me describe this. It's kind of gravelly. He has a very monotone delivery, gravelly, almost atonal. <laughs> like, yeah. And it and it almost has a like a evil lounge singer uh, a, a sound to it. I don't know how to describe right. it other than that. Especially on the slower songs, like uh, "Satin Down," um, it's creepy, and, and especially with some of his wordplay. Yeah.
that's how I guess I would say it's sort of a it's sort of a creepy drunken lounge singer rat pack almost at times whispering whispering in your ear yeah like, it's like the devil so um you know that formula you know for the first couple songs I can get on board with it and the first two songs are pretty similar like the the format of the song how it starts how it builds the pieces and parts of it um you know are very much in the same ballpark as the record goes on though um you know there's some shifts in tempos there's some there's some more focus on you know writing riffs like bigger bigger more guitar oriented sort of riffs you know learned it comes to mind mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like a big zeppelinish riff you know so they go in those directions and then there's a couple spots where they go quiet or they go slow um there's an album track on here that's mostly seems to be instrumental for some reason i don't know what it was I, it, it didn't quite go f- there wasn't quite enough variety. I don't know if it's the the limitations of that vocal style where, you know, I really want something to, like in a chorus in particular, maybe, or even in a break for something vocally to, to really kind of break through the, um, that tone and it never happens. So kind of just, you're kind of left in this middle ground of, you know, sort, sort of, uh, what the sound of this band is and stuck in for the most part, fairly similar tempos. Um, it is very, it is very dark, um, without being overly heavy all the time. That makes sense. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They don't, it's dirt, it's dirty sounding and, 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 and gritty, but it doesn't get like the guitars don't get overly distorted. It's not about like super compressed, you know, metal sounding guitars or anything like that. Um, but just the chords they use and the riffs they write, they time I, I kept writing ominous when I was writing my notes, you know, and it sort of sounds like uh, it sounds I'm like thinking, the apocalypse. Yeah, like learned it, uh, bulletproof Cupid, uh, kind of like it feels like something bad's gonna happen. You know, it's kind of like a soundtrack like bed where you know, you know you're driving on the road and all of a sudden you know something's gonna jump out in front of the car, kind of thing. Um, they're really good at writing that style of. Uh, of riff and that style of melody and, and, you know, using minor sort of feel stuff and, you know, that sort of works, but I don't know. I just never, it didn't quite crack through and, and, and become extraordinary for me at any point. It just sort of was like just at average or slightly above average. That makes sense. Well, it's, it's definitely a tough nut to crack in terms of it's so dirty sounding but not distorted mm-hmm. it's it's just sludgy it's super muddy sounding not in a bad way i think it's especially when you throw the headphones on and you get the separation in your headphones it just mm-hmm. it's like you said it's very ominous and they found the right tones to play with without overdriving things too much and pretty unique sounding records i mean the, the two bases makes a, a big difference because you have one bass, it sounds like pretty much sticking to like low-end sounds, and then another bass carrying some sort of like um, what would be traditional guitar leads, and then a guitar sort of making noises uh, in between those parts. You know, there's, there's not a, I can't think of another band that's, that was doing anything like this uh, back at the, in the day. So mm-hmm. that right there off the bat, you're getting a completely unique sound. And then his vocal, like I mentioned, is is this co- weird combination of like a 
evil lounge singer and kind of sounds like some sort of like drunken rat pack uh, balladeer at times on, on some of the slower songs like on Bug House and, and um, Satin Down, which you mentioned earlier. I, it, in, the more I listened to this, the more and more it grew on me and the more I, I really, really appreciated um, the textures that they're playing with. There's They do a lot of like little things in the songs like in Get Down. There's like this sort of organ keyboard drone that's going on in the background. It gives it, again, this like ominous sound. also appreciated you know obviously with two bass players you could play around with the way that the bass is supposed to to interact mm-hmm. um and it can you know you would think that they would be the dominant parts but there's also some cool parts that the guitar carries um one i wanted to point out was bulletproof cupid because he does this sort of melodic pulse uh that starts out the song and uh, it's sort of playing off of the vocal but then uh when the drums it's the 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 song picks up and he's uh i forget who was playing the guitar um uh scott scott mcleod so when scott mcleod is his guitar part is almost acting as a as a a part of his vocal melody but then Mm -hmm. it's also the pulse is also playing off of the rhythm section as like a counter to that but then also hitting on certain snare and kick beats. It's a really interesting guitar part um, that I, it, they don't use that, the guitar in, in that way. I don't think in a lot of this, in the music in terms of as a melody uh, carrier, it tends to be more about the chords or, or, or noise or something like that. But in that particular song, it's, um, it's a really interesting thing because it's hard to pull off sort of playing off two different parts of the song or two different parts of the band which is both the rhythm section and the melody
thought that was really cool. Um, and then they do some other cool things like on Billy's One Stop, I think it starts with like a distorted piano part, which is really interesting. And I like that they play around with the vocal in unexpected ways, like in Go Be Delighted. I'm not sure if he's saying sunny or sucky, but there's mm-hmm. that like high uh, falsetto part that's really cool. And then you mentioned in Learn It, um, I think it's Eli Janney who's doing the Where I Am counter melody. And it shows that they can be more than just this dark, ominous, evil-sounding end-of-the-world band. I, it made me think of, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Children of Men um, with uh, um, Clive Owen. It's, that, it's yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. where nobody has a baby anymore. And yep. uh, it's Michael Caine's in it, and he's complaining about how uh, the most popular bands, I think they're called Screamers, or something like that. It's basically like just somebody screaming over industrial music because the world's ending. So that's, of course, what the world would sound like at the end. I think they, it would sound more like uh, Girls Against Boys, quite honestly. <laughs> because in, in a weird way, this is sort of like, in, if you listen to the lyrics, and that's what got me at the end, is that he's doing more with the lyrics than I think a lot of those bands did. Um He's almost the uh, post-punk Washington, D.C. version of Greg Dooley because he's throwing in a lot of these like little lyric lines that make me think of things that Greg Dooley would sing. Like in Get Down, he says, well, he says, get down, shake your thing, which kind of reminds me of Greg Dooley. And then in Seven Seas, he says, we can sin until we blow up, dig a grave for our heads, I'm done with mine. Reminds me of the Gentleman era. Uh, yeah, sort of, and he he's dropping a lot of babies and sexy, and all these like unexpected um, lyrical flourishes that I would expect, like I said, from a Dooley, but mm-hmm. not from a Washington D.C. post-punk band. And um, it made me appreciate what he was doing even more because he's there's definitely like an attitude and a and a in a a bit more personality to the lyric writing than in uh, a lot of those bands. Um, but yeah, this having not, like I said, not really have gone back to their earlier stuff and having only really been familiar with Freakonica. I, I really liked this record all the way through and I liked it more, more and more each time I listened to it. I, I get what uh, Eric and, and Gavin were talking about. It makes me want to check out more of their stuff because, um, and it makes me angry that I didn't listen to this because I think I would have been a better bass player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot a lot of um, using the bass to either be a percussive instrument um, and, and create sort of memorable riffs and things just using rhythm. Mm-hmm. Or, and there's also some melodic stuff going on as well from a yeah. bass sample. Which you don't hear especially in the 90s when a lot of bass mm-hmm. players were relegated to playing the chord, you know, playing the bass notes of the chords yeah. and, and keeping the, the rhythm section down. There weren't a lot of Peter Hooks mm. in the 90s. Except for like Flea and Jeff Ament. <laughs> no, too much popping going on there. No. They yeah. play with their fingers too. And the guy from 311. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, this is certainly a record that sounds better the louder you play it, that's for sure. And it, you hear more of uh, the nuance between the, these um, 
at times ambiguous instruments. You know, I, that guitar part that you're uh, you were describing in Bulletproof C- Cupid, um, it is really cool, but it's almost <clears throat> it's probably guitar. But you could, if you told somebody it was keyboard, you could almost believe it was keyboard too. Or it's it could just be sort somebody like, playing a really high bass note. Yeah, it's something in this middle. Then there's a lot of times where that that happens. Um, where there's there's things in the middle and there's there, they kind of all got this similar amount of fuzz or distortion on them and they kind of blend with each other and um, I think what's cool about it is that they're able to do that without getting too much in each other's way so it kind of comes together sounds big and separates out so you can hear things and you know a lot of that has to do with um, the production of the record but also just kind of spending time making sure all those tones fit together you know. I'm, in terms of when they crafted the sound of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some industrial aspects to this band too, almost, you know, it has some kind of a, even though it's, you know, real drums, there's some kind of very percussive kind of, um, you know, heavy, but almost at times mechanical sounding um, aspects to it where it'll, it'll be like that, but then it'll break and become very kind of natural or human sounding. Um, there's a lot of cool, like, harmonics they're playing on guitars Mm -hmm. and like ghost notes happening with either like feedback or um just you know the way they're playing the guitar like you hear these little like kind of chirps and hums and things that happen all over the record on purpose and going into parts and um i really enjoy that i like the drum sound of it it's it's you know like i said it's almost got like a an industrial sound to it and you know with how loud the, the kick and the, and the snare are and not a lot of emphasis on cymbals you know it's kind of a just a really kind of thumping drum sound um, bruising so, it's very yeah. It's, yeah it's 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 a heavy drum sound which i really like I, I think it comes down to me is just songwriting so i mean if if you can i think if you listen to this record in more of like a um you know the context maybe like driving in a car or you know just just getting into the sound of it um it it will definitely grab you i think in the context of like analyzing it for purposes of this you know you start breaking down the songwriting a little bit and it's not always amazing but that's not really what the band's about so um and i kind of get that in terms of uh other bands i think why this band ultimately ends up working for me is there are other bands that were doing sort of heavy, slightly melodic, um, a lot of dissonant, um, you know, dirty, but not, and not distorted, but heavy sounding, um, like Jesus lizard or shellac, or, um, even if you want to throw like brainiac into that. Uh, but I think it, it works for me because, I, his vocal works for me in a weird way that I wasn't expecting after the first time. Like it finds its niche for me, and uh, those other bands don't feature singers I particularly care for. So I think ultimately that's what kind of sells the band, uh, which is I think often the case with you know bands that are doing a very I guess specific thing musically. If the if the singer can pull it off, if I don't if I don't feel the singer, if I'm not getting what they're doing, then I'm not going to probably 
like what the band's doing, but I can I can accept a band that might be trying to do something different musically as long as the singer is, I guess, confident in what they're doing and not annoying. Yeah, he doesn't get in the way of the music at all. Right. You know what I mean? So you can, like, if you don't love his voice, you can still, I think, like the band and it doesn't ruin it. I think some of the other bands you mentioned, it, if you don't like the vocal, you're kind of... That's kind of the point, um, you know. And I think on a song like "Learned It," they leave space for the vocal, and I think that really comes together for me in terms of you know, there's a riff, and then he sings, and then there's another riff, and you can kind of appreciate you know his vocal even better there, whereas some others where it's kind of it mingles in and out, and you kind of just lose it and forget about it. Um, so yeah, it it's it's um it's something that you can kind of tone out, and it kind of fit. I mean, his voice sounds like the music, right? You know what I mean, it's not a band where like the singer, the vocal the the vocal sound sits above, like uh, say Placebo. We talked about you know that band a couple weeks ago, right? Um, where the the vocal is you know it's sitting up on top of the music and it's not blending in and the two are separated out. His voice sounds like the distorted bass. Yeah, it's. Same same character to it. He it, he's it, at times it, it becomes a, like sort of buried in the mix, which uh, I don't. There aren't a lot of vocalists that w- that want that to happen. Right. You have to be pretty confident in what you're doing, and or you're trying to, or you think you're not doing something very well. But I, I don't think that that's the case. I think that they just want to put the music up front. I was trying to think of bands that sound in any way similar to this and I was coming up with some sort of weird connections um, one was the Constantines hmm. some elements hmm. and then um, another one was McCluskey uh, more so for the like the distorted bass and stuff like that obviously the vocal is totally different McCluskey has a like hysterical yelling and lots of humor which I appreciate but uh, musically there was some some elements but I couldn't think of a lot of, I mean, I don't, uh, I'm trying to think of other bands that um, have even utilized uh, the two, uh, two bass uh, approach. And um, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Spinal uh, Tap? Oh, they well, have four bass approach. Or three. <laughs> I wonder if the the uh, Girls Against Boys ever co- covered Big Bottom. If they didn't, <laughs> that is such a wasted opportunity. Uh, I thought there was another band that had uh, two bass players, but I guess I I can't I can't think of any. Is anybody else uh, anybody out there know of bands that had two bass players? Two. I'm I think comes to mind for me. Two bass players. A band that. I'd- I did think of a couple of times on this record was uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club mm. um, on a song like Let Me Come Back. There's some something about that groove and that riff and the very simple kind of chord structures, you know, where they just sit on a chord for a while and then they shift to another one. And um, there's a couple other moments where, you know, just, just in terms of that kind of ominous, dark, but, you know, still blues oriented rock found f- fundamentally you know rock music uh, with kind of an eerie 
dark tinge to it. Um, that was a band that occurred to me a couple times. Oh, uh, Cop Shot Cop, which is a 90s band, and Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Really? Yeah. How the hell do they have two bass better? I don't know. Huh. Can't say I'm that familiar with them, though, other than whatever the uh, single was. Yeah, me neither. Might be a, a good opportunity to uh, to revisit a, an album. What were they thinking with two bass players? I don't know. Nervous, some people. Well, I mean, I don't know. But it's like having two drummers. It's like what's unless you're really going to do something interesting with it, which I think you know we've already stated that this they've done something interesting with it on this record. Uh, there aren't a lot of bands that could do something interesting with it. So, all right. So that's well. Wait a minute. I got to wrap. I got to say now, Jay. What was your final? Uh, ruling on this is this a worthy album better EP or decent single I think it's a worthy album you know there's there's probably I don't care for the slow songs very much so there's I think three of those two and then an instrumental um, those are the ones that I would probably skip but the rest of them you know if they came on I would leave them on um, if I put the record on I would I would make it through um, you know eight, eight to nine of these songs easily um, I'm actually, this is one of the few albums where I actually dig the slower stuff just because they do it in such a unique way. They're not ballads by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, they sound like songs that would be used, uh, to murder somebody by some sort of, you <laughs> know, in, in a movie where you'd have like some killer sharpening his knife while his victim is, uh, tied up in a chair or something like that. Like it's, it's, they're really uh, creepy and scary songs. So, um, this is a full album for me. You know, maybe one or two songs that I I think are a little bit less than the other ones. But yeah, this is a great record, and I'm glad that I got around to it. So, uh, I mentioned that uh, Gavin joined because he was a big fan of this record. He actually mentioned them in an email a couple weeks ago, and just so happened that around that time is when I found out that this that the Girls Against Boys were releasing a so it sort of worked out serendipity there uh, all things coming together so like Gavin you can leave us, um, leave us some feedback over at our Facebook page about this uh, particular album and our review of it and of course if you want to leave us some feedback over on iTunes page we would greatly appreciate it only a couple uh, I know it's it's September but really we've only got let's see like Four, eight, about uh, 12, 11 or 12 episodes left for the year. Mm. So uh, if you've got uh, requested reviews, get them in soon. Because as you know, once our requested reviews are done for the year, then we're we'll being uh, given away a, a little uh, thank you to one of our uh, requested reviewers. Uh, it's not a prize. It's merely a, a thank you gift selected at random. <laughs> That's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. Well said. Thank you. I'm not going to give away what's in there. There, There's some music. There's some reading materials. And uh, maybe a pair of old socks. Yes. Aud- one, one pair, one sock autographed by me, one sock autographed by Jay. That'll be part of your defense when the feds come knocking and say, 
We gave him some old socks. Are you kidding me? It's not a Come prize. On. We just didn't want to do laundry. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.